Welcome to episode 75 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, whatever happened to Golight, the well-loved backpacking gear company? Well, we have some great news. Then we'll share the top five benefits that a thin wall of nylon can provide. Next, on the Summit Gear Review, we'll share what happens when you mash up two pieces of trail equipment into one. On today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we'll share a free resource for folks who like to get lost in a good book. All this, and that's about it. Today, on the first 40 miles. When I was first getting into backpacking, I spent a lot of time lurking on backpacking forums. And there was one company that kept coming up in people's conversations, and that was Golite. I tried to check out Golite and found out that the company was going to be disappearing. I was disappointed, as were many people, because Golight was a company that specialized in lightweight backpacking gear and clothing. Well, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in October of 2014, and that Golight bankruptcy was dismissed about a year ago. But we have good news. They're back! And it's essentially Golight 2.0, although legally they cannot say that at all. But for, you know, how we understand the company, it's basically Golight, the next generation. The new company is called MyTrail, you know, two words squished together into one word. And uh, you can find it at MyTrailCo.com. MyTrail is founded by the same founders of Golight. And technically, MyTrail purchased the designs from the bankrupt Golight company. I had a chance to talk to Coop, who's the head of my trail, and he really expressed his excitement with this new adventure. He said they've approached it with lots of optimism, tons of support, and lots of wisdom from lessons that they've had to learn the hard way. And I thought it was so cool that he recognized that there were things that they did really well. And they're going to hold on tight to those things. Then he also recognized that there were things that they really, they messed up on. And so there's a lot of humility in this whole transition. They want to make sure that they go forward making the right decisions and doing what's best for their customers. And it's interesting, as I talked with Coop, he said that a couple of the missteps that they made was they felt like they got too much into casual apparel. And then they also struggled as they opened large stores. They're still going to have some retail stores, but they're going to, I guess, grow those stores organically and make sure that things don't get out of control. So essentially, my trail is bringing back the best of Golight, and they're really excited to be back in the saddle doing what they know and love. So if you go to their website, mytrailco.com, you're not going to see anything for sale yet because their launch date is May 1st. That's when they'll have everything ready to go, fingers crossed. 
And if you're interested in seeing mytrailco.com succeed, they're doing a direct public offering to raise capital. And this is actually only available to residents of Colorado at this point. And they're really hoping that by mid-year that the Securities and Exchange Commission will erase the borders around the states. You know, like uh, Donald Trump's healthcare plan, <laughs> the borders around the states, um, so that MyTrailCo can raise capital nationwide. Right now, it's just available for Colorado residents. You can check that out at dpo.mytrailco.com. And if you just want to connect with the company and find out what's going on behind the scenes or what's next, you can also go to facebook.com slash mytrailco. So in preparation for this episode, I visited their Facebook page, and I was really surprised to see that they had 34,000 likes. And I thought, wait a minute, they, they just started... I mean, they're not even launched yet. How could they have 34,000 likes? So I went back through the history, and it's the Golight Facebook page renamed to My Trail Co. So they were able to kind of keep all their existing followers. And I'm not sure what the rules are. For example, if you go to the, the website, golight.com, you get nothing. The, it, there's no response. Maybe there's some requirement that they have to not use golight.com to send people to my trail. However, I guess renaming your existing Facebook page is okay. Yeah, and I bet all of the people who are Golight fans are just so happy to still be connected with the company. Yeah, everyone that followed Golight is going to be interested in the new company, uh, you know, similar, uh, well, the same products plus new ones um, focused on lightweight and affordability. So if you're interested in checking out Golight 2.0, or as lawyers want you to call it, okay, if you're interested in a company that has chosen a somewhat confusing and non-memorable name. <laughs> well, what would you have picked? Well, for example, if, if it was going to be My Trail, then go with My Trail without the co on the end. Yeah. Right? I think that's part of the confusion for me. Yeah. Is, uh, is it My Trail or is it My Trail Co.? So their logo has an M, a T, and a C. Their oh, URL is MyTrailCo. Their yeah. Facebook page, MyTrailCo. Twitter page, MyTrailCo. And yet they call themselves MyTrail. See, on their website, it comes up and says MyTrailCo. Uh -huh. But the title of their webpage, like what might show up in a Google oh, search result, is yeah. MyTrail Company. Yeah, on their Facebook page, I saw some photos of prototype products mm -hmm. that had the little logo with MyTrailCo. But yeah, what do they want to be called? So if you're interested in checking out My Trail or My Trail Co. or My Trail Company, whatever you want to call it, we'll have the link in the show notes or you can just go check out MyTrailCo.com. And today's show notes are at thefirst40miles.com slash 075. For today's top five list, we'll be talking about the top five benefits of using a tent. You know, the idea of camping out under the stars is so fun, it's so, uh, you know, freeing. And you imagine yourself being like one of those outdoor men like John Muir, who just kind of, I assume he camped under the stars frequently. He seems like the kind of guy who would. That's certainly how we imagine people like that. Well, it sounds fun until you factor in some of the great benefits that a tent has to offer. And to be fair, we will include the top five benefits of going tentless in an upcoming episode. And I'm sure some listeners right now are thinking the benefits of a tent as if I needed a reason to bring a <laughs> tent. I mean, I, a lot of us are just going to assume that a tent is a staple on every backpacking trip. 
Well, it's funny because in American camping in North America, we sleep in tents. That's how we do it. But in Europe, they have huts and you can just sleep in a hut. In fact, on a lot of trails in the United States, I shouldn't say a lot, but on some of the major trails, there are little shelters that you can sleep in. So a tent is not always necessary, but most of the time here we do bring a tent. Yeah. And especially we do. Uh, it's just we like our tent. Yeah. And there are real benefits to bringing a tent. Yeah. So let's talk about them. Well, the first benefit, and this one is the most important to me personally, and that is privacy. I really like the solitude and the separateness that a tent provides. You know, it's a place to change clothes, a place to clean your toes. And if you're camping with a bunch of people, it kind of just provides that thin wall of privacy. It doesn't provide sound protection, though. So if you're going to be camping with people who snore or if you're easily spooked by falling pine cones, then just bring your plugs. But a tent just provides that wall of privacy that you're used to at home. I love the visual privacy that a tent provides. Um, but you're right that there's no sound privacy. And sometimes because you've got the visual privacy, you forget that there's no sound privacy. And, you know, we can sit in our tent and if our kids are 20 feet away in their tents, we can hear everything they're talking about. And then we have to remember that they can hear everything we're talking about. We've also been on some trips with people who snore. They're so loud. <laughs> and no matter how far away you camp from them, it's just a part of, part of tent camping. You can just hear everything. If you've ever played with a speaker, they have that thin, papery cone. Oh, yeah. You know, and like if you scratch it or touch it, it, it really amplifies that sound that you're making on it. And is a tent like that? Oh, where is everything's it, amplified? Yeah, is it actually amplifying the sound? Interesting. I don't know. Maybe, you know, the, the tighter you pitch it, the more <laughs> it's going to... Like a timpani or something? Right. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But I know that... Um, Inside the tent, I can hear every single little pine needle that falls on top of the tent. It sounds like something's scratching at the tent. It's a little unsettling. Yeah, same effect maybe. Yeah. It's like a speaker cone <laughs> directed at you because you're kind of in the bottom of the tent. Wow, I never thought about that. Well, the second benefit of bringing a tent is protection. Some of this admittedly is psychological, but you can reliably depend on your tent to protect you from flies and mosquitoes, probably snakes, um, but don't expect it to protect you from anything with gnawing teeth or sharp anything. Yeah, the idea that uh, there's a bear walking through your camp, but you're somehow protected by staying inside your tent. I mean, you're probably protecting yourself by not moving, but the bear knows the tent is there. And the bear knows that if it smells something good inside the tent, it can get inside the tent. So that tent's not protecting you at all in that situation. And I'm not so much worried about the bears as the rodents. So if you keep food in your tent and you're expecting your food to be protected inside of your tent from, you know, gnawing animals, they'll gnaw right through your tent and get to your food. The walls of your tent are no match for rodents. Yeah, I have a funny story from last summer. I was at girls camp and I was always very careful about always zipping up my tent door. I zipped it so religiously because I'd brought a pretty large food stash. It's a junk food stash for the week. Um, you know, salt and vinegar chips, some cookies, Starburst candies. And about halfway through the week, I realized that the other tent door 
was completely unzipped on the bottom. So sometimes you're just lucky. I didn't have any rodent issues, although I deserved to have rodent issues. I had some really great food in there, but boy, I don't know how I escaped that. Well, if you're planning on using your tent for protection from the cold or, you know, to trap heat, it's a better idea actually to use more insulation on your body than it is to try and trap heat in your tent space. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess your tent could protect you from wind and kind of the wind chill that comes with that. Yeah, it's just not going to add much warmth other than that. Yeah, if you're trying to trap heat, it makes a lot more sense to trap heat close to your body. You know, like the air between you and your sleeping bag or you and your puffy, but you don't really want to heat the air between you and the tent fabric because that's a lot of air to heat. That you would have to produce a lot of heat to get all of that air to be warm enough to make you warm enough. The third benefit of using a tent is that it provides some adjustable climate control. Obviously, it protects you from the rain. That's nice. And then you can also zip and unzip openings in the tent to manage the air circulation. Uh, in particular, you know, depending on the climate that you're in, you may use a single wall tent or a double wall tent. A single wall tent is light and simple. It's just one piece of fabric. A double wall tent is probably what most of us are using, where you've got a tent plus a rain fly. The reason for a double wall tent is so that you can get air circulation so you don't get condensation inside your inner tent, but you have the rain fly in the outside to keep the rain out. And with a double wall tent, you have lots of versatility in opening up the inner tent to get more circulation while keeping everything dry with the rain fly. Yeah, there's a good chance we'll never own a single wall tent just because we live in such a humid, rainy environment. If we lived in the desert, it would be great. We could use a single wall tent, but we do have the option with the tents that we have. And I believe most tents have the option of doing like a fast pitch where you just pitch the rain fly and use that as your tent. Yeah. And typically with a fast pitch, you would bring a footprint. Uh, so it's a layer that goes down on the ground and uh, you have something to stick your tent poles into as you pitch the rain fly over it. Now, you can go completely tentless. That's the ultimate in ventilation. But of course, that's not very adjustable. You've got 100% ventilation all the time. And that brings us to our next benefit of using a tent, and that is no trees necessary. Hammock camping has really taken off. People love that hammocks are lightweight, they're low impact, and they're just a fun way to bed down for the night. But tents do have an advantage over hammocks in that they are standalone structures. You don't need to rely on trees or trees being a certain distance apart. All you need is a relatively flat surface to pitch your tent on. Remember when you were going to buy our first hammock? Oh, yeah. And I completely poo-pooed the idea. <laughs> I was like, no, I mean, who, who wants to not sleep in a tent? And besides... I mean, this is the forest. How often are you going to find two trees that are just perfectly spaced so that you can stick a hammock in between them? I remember you saying that and I laughed because it seems like that wouldn't be a problem in a forest. But we have taken the hammock out. And even on our last trip, when we tried to pitch the Eno housefly over our tent, it was really tricky trying to find trees that were perfectly spaced. And we ended up tying it to three trees and then we ended up sticking down the fourth corner. And I will say I have changed my tune a bit because we have taken our, our hammocks out camping on several trips. And you know what? On most trips, 
we end up finding a couple trees that are relatively well-spaced where we can hang a hammock. So I'm starting to learn that it's maybe not all that difficult to find a spot for a hammock. So you can always use a tall, skinny friend if you don't have another tree. Or just take turns sleeping. That's right. (laughs) I'll hold the hammock while you sleep. (laughs) Well, you know, it becomes increasingly difficult as you kind of broaden your range with your um, backpacking because once you get above tree line, it pretty much rules out hammock camping. So that's, you know, good for forests. I don't know about cactuses. If you could hang it on a couple of cactuses, cacti. Yeah. <laughs> but, but tents do open up options. Now, I'm sure someone will say, well, you know, sometimes you can hang a hammock in a place where you would never be able to pitch a tent because the ground is completely uneven or ah. it's covered with bushes or, you know, but that's for a future episode, right? The benefits of going tentless. Right. But for today, you know, most places you go, there is a flat spot somewhere that's been kind of uh, developed to pitch a tent. And the number five benefit of using a tent is that it is home. If you're going to be doing some exploring, it's really nice to have a home base to come back to. And it can also act as somewhat of a landmark. And this benefit, I'll admit, is also somewhat psychological, kind of like the protection benefit of using a tent. It's just so comforting to come back home. If you're going to be using your tent as kind of a home base or, you know, say you're going to be staying in a site for several days, it does make sense to move your tent into the shade so that it won't be destroyed by the sun's ultraviolet rays. So if you're going to be keeping it up for a few days, make sure that you protect your tent. So there you go. Five benefits of using a tent, partially psychological and partially practical. For today's Summit Gear Review, we will be reviewing the Vargo Bot. And we wanted to share our review of the Vargo Bot, not necessarily because we think it's something that you need to run out and buy or even put on your wish list, but we wanted to review it because it epitomizes the mindset of a backpacker. Why take two things when I could just take one that does two jobs? So it's taking two ideas and smashing them together. It's kind of the, the Pop-Tart principle. You know, what if we created pie that you could also stick in your toaster and a new product is born? So as we talked about on a previous episode, the owner of Vargo is one of these types of people that smashes ideas together and creates new products all the time. In fact, I think a lot of the ideas that he comes up with are on backpacking trips. The Vargo Bot is a 100% titanium pot and bottle, so it's a bot. It can be put on your fire or you can put it on your stove and you can also use it as a drinking vessel. The Vargo Bot is watertight because the lid has a silicone ring around it, which prevents leaks. The Vargo Bot is similar in diameter to the 32-ounce wide-mouth Nalgene bottle, so it can easily fit into your water bottle pouch. It has graduated marks at 300, 600, and 900 milliliters, and the main part of the Vargo Bot holds one liter of water. And if you unscrew the lid, it holds about, I guess, a little over a cup of water. So you could use it as a drinking cup to go with your meal while you have the main part of your dinner in the bot. If you are just going to boil water in the bot, then don't screw the lid on or else you're going to have... Yeah, that turns the bot into a bomb. (laughs) Yeah, 
don't do that. But what you'll do is just unscrew the lid and then flip it upside down and it acts as a nested lid for the bot. Just fits right in there. In terms of mass, the Vargo bot is made of titanium, so that means it becomes super light. It's 4.8 ounces or 136 grams. As far as maintenance goes, we recently talked in an episode about the benefits of titanium. However, we also mentioned that titanium is rolled very thin, so you still need to treat titanium with respect. Treat it gently. Don't knock it around because you can still dent titanium. It's very rugged uh, and durable, but still be careful with it. The screw top lid can be a bit of an issue on the Vargo bot. This is what it feels like. Yeah, like metal scraping against metal. Not quite nails on a chalkboard, though. Yeah, and it tends to get stuck a little. I did notice, however, that I can pop the top on like the top of a milk jug. Yeah, where you, you can just, just pop smash it on. It on. Yeah. Also, because of the friction of unscrewing the lid, if you're going to change elevation, like driving home from your backpacking trip, unscrew the lid before you make that elevation change because it's just going to make it that much tougher to get the lid off if it's been pressurized or depressurized inside the bot. Yeah, I've heard of people having to kind of pry up the side with a credit card to release some of the pressure, but it makes a lot more sense to unscrew it before you make any elevation changes. As far as investment goes, it is $100 for the titanium bot. However, they also have a stainless steel version that's $40 and it weighs 8.4 ounces. And there is a 100% manufacturer's guarantee against any product defect. And in case you missed it, just last week in episode 74, we talked about the benefits of titanium and how it compares to steel and aluminum. So if you want to really kind of dive deep into titanium and what it's all about, go check out last week's episode, number 74. For trial, we used the Vargo bot on our trip to the Salmon River, and we used it as a water collection vessel. We had the tarp set up over our tent and we let the rainwater drip in. It was raining so hard that the Vargo bot filled up pretty quickly, and we were able to use that water for dinner. It was perfect for that use because it's a completely open top. You know, it doesn't narrow down like a small mouth um, water bottle might have. So it was really easy to just stick it under the corner of the tarp, and I think within a half hour, it was full, and we used that water for our dinner. There's one little tweak that I could make to this. It would be uh, that I wish it had handles on it. You can use a pot lifter when you're using it as a pot, but I think the handles would be a lot more convenient and they wouldn't add that much weight. Another thing that I recognized as we use the Vargo bot is that we typically use our cooking pots or our mug as a storage container for the stove, windscreen, pot stand matches, so if you were using the bot as one of your primary water bottles, you would have to find another place to put all the cooking gear, like your stove, windscreen, all that stuff. So before you dive into purchasing a Vargo bot, really think about where you're going to store those other items if you are going to use the Vargo bot as another water bottle. So there's the Vargo bot. We really just wanted to share this review because it's such a fascinating product. It combines two items into one and potentially shrinks your pack weight and your pack size because you're just bringing this one item that takes the place of two 
good-sized items. So check out Vargo. We'll have the link in the show notes, and you'll find lots of other really interesting and innovative backpacking gear. For today's backpack hack of the week, free public domain audiobooks. If you enjoy audiobooks while you're driving to your destination, or if you love listening on the trail, we found another free resource other than your local public library. With LibriVox.org, everything is read by volunteers and everything is public domain. So they're all, you know, classics. So I love their little tagline. It says, acoustical liberation of books in the public domain. It's like they're freeing these little books. Run free, little books. <laughs> um, so I was just thinking, if you're planning on doing the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier, you might want to download Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. <laughs> you don't have to laugh at that dumb joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was prepared to laugh. I, I saw it coming. <laughs> Did you write the word laugh in your show notes? I didn't. I, I just I remembered <laughs> to laugh without even a, a cue in my show notes. You're hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. They also have lots of books from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, P.G. Woodhouse, William Shakespeare, and Mark Twain. This has nothing to do with backpacking, but the two of us really like nonfiction, and we very rarely get into fiction. But both of us just have really enjoyed P.G. Woodhouse. He's a British humorist. So, you know, nothing to do with backpacking, but go check out P.G. Woodhouse. His writing is hilarious. So great. He was the one who did Jeeves and Worcester. Boy, what a funny guy. And just ridiculous stories. Total waste of time, but <laughs> a really fun waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to be listening to audiobooks on the trail, remember just to use one earbud so you can be aware of your surroundings. And if you're more into reading than into listening, uh, we've mentioned before that Project Gutenberg uh, at gutenberg.org is a good place to get public domain books in text format. We'll leave you today with some trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Helen Keller. She said, What a joy it is to feel the soft, springy earth under my feet once more, to follow grassy roads that lead to ferny brooks where I can bathe my fingers in a cataract of rippling notes or to clamber over a stone wall into green fields that tumble and roll and climb in riotous gladness. This is actually a quote that we shared on a recent episode of the S'more Outdoor podcast with Brett Trout. The S'more Outdoor podcast is all about the effect that the outdoors has on us, and the host, Brett Trout, has termed it the nature effect. And on our episode with him, we shared lots of stories. We talked about some behind-the-scenes stuff as it relates to the first 40 miles, and we just had a really great conversation with him. And it was fun to chat with him about the nature effect and share some stories with each other about just the profound effect that we feel when we get outside. So definitely check out the S'more Outdoor podcast. We are on April 4th, uh, episode 56. And he has lots of other great episodes that all kind of center around this theme of how nature affects people. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, then get outside or start planning your next adventure. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles.
that's the ultimate ultimate <laughs> we're crazy yeah what are we doing we don't even know what we're doing <laughs> Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> I got my trail. <laughs> no. Uh, how does it go? My trail. My trail. Talking, talking about, about my, my trail. trail. My trail. Ooh. Boom, 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 boom.